Good morning. We welcome you to the church. Will you stand? Let's sing together this morning. Praise the Lord. you killed it brother I always tell Ron but Mac Powell's got nothing on him man Woo, so good I love some third day good morning welcome to Kavanaugh Church how we doing are you fired up you ready to worship Jesus good because that's why we're here I was reading in Ezekiel and I like Ezekiel he has some crazy visions you know that the Lord gives him but the Lord gave him this this vision of the temple and he said I want you to tell my people about the temple, but he said, he said, the basic law of the temple is complete holiness. And he said, tell that to the people. He's reminding the people that God is holy and we're called to be holy. We're called to live holy. So we got to strive for that every day, guys. And we got to remember we serve a holy God. So again, today we're going to worship him. We're so glad you're here. And if you're new to Kavanaugh, you're checking us out, uh, we are glad that you came. And if you look in that chair back in front of you, you're going to see one of these connection cards. We'd ask you to fill that out for us. Hang on to it. And at the end of service, go into our lobby. You'll see our connect counter. Drop the card off. We've got a gift for you, which includes Chick-fil-A. So you don't want to pass that up. And also, and most importantly, we want to answer any questions you might have about the church. And we are very glad that you're here. Uh, this is a great day, guys. I'm excited. So what, let's stand up. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Then I'm going to have you guys greet one another, okay? And then we're going to keep singing. We're going to keep praising the Lord. God, we love you, and it's so good to be in your house and in your presence. 
Thank you for each and every person that's here. Uh, Lord, everybody here has needs. Uh, they have things going on in their life, but Lord, you know all about them. So today, my prayer is that each of us will know, Lord, that you love us, that you came to this earth uh, to be our Savior. You died for us, you were buried in a tomb, and you rose again. And we can have eternal life when we believe in you and trust you as Lord. So I pray that every person here today will know that, will believe that. And if they've never done that, if they've never trusted you as Savior, I pray today that they will feel your Holy Spirit speak truth into their hearts and they will receive you and receive the gift of eternal life, Lord. Uh, for whatever needs there are today, Lord, help us just to, to give them to you, to trust every part of our life to you, Lord. We love you, we praise you, and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you guys welcome one another today? Thank you for being friendly with one another. You know, the scripture tells us that when we turn to Jesus Christ and put our faith in him, that the old way of doing things, the old life has passed away and everything is made new. That's what we're going to sing about next. Please join and sing, We Are Made New. You're taking me deep. 
for prayer. Dear Lord, I love you today and I thank you for your many blessings, for all that you've done for us. Lord, I thank you that we have a place we can come to worship you, to gather around with like believers. And Lord, I know that there's nothing I can do on my own to find forgiveness. Lord, I trust in you. It's by your grace alone that we are forgiven. I put my trust in you today, Lord, and I pray that if there's someone here that 
needs to find you today as their Savior. Lord, that you'll give them the courage to step out, to come to these altars and find you. And Lord, that you can forgive them of their sins. And all they have to do is just ask. Lord, I pray that you'll just be with us this week. Help us to show your light to the world. Lord, in our circle of influence, Lord, just help us to be the example for you to help build your kingdom. Lord, we love you and thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for this day. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Honey is in the rock, and it's sweet to trust in Jesus. Amen? Come on, say amen. amen. Wow, good to see you today. Glad you're in the Lord's house. Praise team did fantastic today, and I think I'm about ready to preach. I, I'm going to pick up with the series that I was doing during the summer on the book of Proverbs, and today I want to talk to you about the power of self-control and personal discipline as I hear hisses across the congregation. Tough, tough subject, you know it? It really is. We, we don't like to hear messages like this, but let me tell you, we all need a little self-control. Woo! Okay. I didn't have it right then, did I? I heard a funny story about a stunt pilot who was selling rides on his single-engine airplane. One day, he got into an argument with a pastor who insisted on taking his wife along at no extra charge. Well, not wanting to miss out on a chance to make some cash, the pilot said, okay, I'll take both of you up for the price of one if you promise not to utter a single sound when we're in the air. If either one of you makes any noise at all, the price is going to be doubled. Well, the deal was made, and they climbed aboard the plane. The pilot quickly proceeded to put the plane through all sorts of stunts and maneuvers designed to make the bravest person tremble, but the passengers didn't make a sound. The pastor and his wife kept their mouth shut. Exhausted, the pilot finally landed the plane, and as the pastor climbed out, the pilot said, I made moves up there that frightened even me, and yet you never said a word. You must have incredible self-discipline. The pastor thanked the pilot and then said, well, I've got to admit, there was one time when, when you almost had me. When was that? Asked the pilot, to which the man replied, when my wife fell out of the plane. <laughs> got to love those preachers, don't you? Self-control. Do you have it? Personal discipline. Is it in your life? They, they tell me that this is controlled in the frontal lobe of our brain, and sometimes I think we turn that frontal lobe off, don't we, when it comes to having self-control. Uh, not long ago, I, I started a new eating plan. Don't, don't you love to go from one eating plan to another? I, I, I remember the days when I didn't have an eating plan. I just ate whatever I wanted to eat, you know? Praise the Lord. So I'm doing this intermittent fasting thing, and it's, it, honestly, it's for the birds, I'll tell you, but, but I've stuck with it, okay, I've stuck with it. I don't eat anything until noon, okay? At noontime, I have my first meal, and I have a window of eating from noon until 8 p.m. After 8 p.m., I don't eat anything else. So it's just during those eight hours that I consume my food, and I'm trying to the best of my ability to make those meals from 12 to 8 healthy choices. I'm already making you sick at your stomach. Well, it is hard for me. A couple of reasons it's hard. Number one, breakfast is my favorite meal of the day. 
And it's hard not to have those, those eggs and oatmeal and bacon and pancakes and waffles. I mean, oh, it's tough. But I'm controlling myself. I'm, I'm, I'm showing self-control and discipline. The, the other time that it's difficult is right before I go to bed. After my 8 o'clock window has expired and it's 9.30 and I'm about ready to go in and, and read some Louis Lamar and go to sleep, but, but my stomach starts growling and I oh man, maybe I could just go in there and Angie's not watching, I could, I could have a healthy snack. But who likes to eat almonds? Or rice cakes? So I open the pantry door, this doesn't happen often, but it has happened. I open that pantry door and guess, guess what food is calling my name? Strawberry Pop-Tarts. Oh man, and you know what? Sometimes there is lack of self-control. I turn that frontal lobe off and I just grab them, put them in the toaster, and while they're cooking I'm thinking, what am I going to drink? Well, I'm eating Pop-Tarts, so what I put together is half orange juice, half Sprite, which is probably worse than the Pop-Tarts. And then I take them in there and, and sit in my chair in the dark, and Angie comes in there and turns the light on and says, what are you doing? And after I finished, I said, baby, it didn't even taste good. Yeah. You know what I've done? I've, I've turned the self-control off. Did you know the Bible is full of verses that tell us we need to have self-control? I'm going to end up in Proverbs, but let me start in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 teaches us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and... Paul taught that people should be married whenever possible, lest Satan tempt them due to their lack of self-control. In Acts chapter 24, verse 25, Paul presented the truths of Christianity before Felix, the governor of Judea, and his wife, Drusilla. And Paul discord on righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. In 2 Peter, he told us to make every effort to add to our faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 5 says, all athletes practice strict self-control. In fact, in reference to what he's writing about here, the Isthmian Games, those athletes had to sign a contract before they started practicing for these games about what they would abstain from and how they would conduct themselves. All athletes practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it as Christians for a prize that will last for all eternity. Writing to Titus, Paul told him what to tell the new Christians on the Isle of Crete. You tell the older men to have and to be serious and sensible and tell the young men to have self-control in everything. The Bible warns us this in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But know this, in the last days perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, and without self-control. You didn't know all those verses were in the Bible, did you? But this is a study of Proverbs. So what does the wise man Solomon have to say on the subject? Well, it is really one of the great themes in the book. And by reading through the book of Proverbs, we learn that maturity means mastering the secrets of self-control. You run into this emphasis within just a few seconds of starting to read the book of Proverbs. Chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline, which is self-control. 
Proverbs 12, 1 says, whoever loves discipline or self-control loves knowledge. Proverbs 13, 8 says, he who ignores discipline comes to poverty and shame. Proverbs 15, 32 says, he who ignores discipline despises himself. What about this verse, Proverbs 25, 28? Like a city whose walls are broken down is a person who lacks self-control. Now, that verse really does have significant meaning. In Bible times, the city's walls were the primary means by which that city or town defended itself. In the days before guided missiles and grenade launchers, an enemy had no way of breaking through those walls or those gates. And if the city had a perpetual source of food and water, it could go about its business with a sense of security, even surrounded by an enemy. The walls kept them safe from the enemy who wanted to destroy them. Solomon wrote that self-control serves the same purpose in our lives. And it is our self-control that protects us from the enemy on the outside. But if our self-control collapses, the enemy, who is none other than the devil himself, can romp into our lives and kill, steal, and plunder our souls with devilish abandon. Now, of course, the concepts of self-control and discipline are mere abstractions if they don't have some practical application to life. And so the writer of Proverbs is eager to point out several areas of life in which we need to master the fine art of self-control. I'm going to share four of them with you today because I believe from Proverbs they are paramount. Number one, we need self-control in managing our emotions. Most of us struggle at times with mastering our emotions. In, in fact, the very word emotion is the word motion with an E in front of it. And I think that E stands for erratic. Come on, stay up with me. Because our emotions are roller coaster cars that take us for a ride. Up and down, often at speeds we don't even enjoy. I can remember watching some kids one day. These were just young children playing. And I noticed that they weren't very adept in managing their emotions. If they got mad, they were mad from head to toe. And they couldn't cover it up. I mean, they were just mad. Their eyes were mean. Their voice was mean. They, they had a temper about them that they could not control. If they were happy, they were just happy all over. And there was no end to the happy emotions that made them laugh and jump like doing jumping jacks. And if they became distressed, they would cry and scream for hours. You know what they were? They were just little children being children. They were immature, and being immature, they had limited control over their emotions. And I watched these kids, and let me tell you, I really watched them a lot because they were my own kids. (laughs) And I realized that part of maturity is the ability to control our emotions instead of allowing our emotions to control us. Two of the most vexing emotions that we deal with is anger and anxiety. And the writer of Proverbs gives us a secret to both of them. When in dealing with anxiety and having control over our worries and our frets, he gives us Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Listen to me, church. You've got two options. You can either lose sleep and worry, or you can trust God. You can bring all of your concerns, all of your frets, all of your worries, all of your anxieties, and lay them at the throne of Jesus, deposit them there, and go about your business, or you can hoard them up and spend hours in worry and in fret over something that you could give to the Lord. 
Self-discipline and self-control turns those worries into trust. As far as anger is concerned, boy, let me tell you, there's plenty of verses to deal with this subject. For example, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11 says, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. What a great verse. Come on now. What a great verse. I tell you, that verse has permanent lodging in my mind because of something that happened to me years ago when I was a student in college at, at Hillsdale, which is now Randall University. It was my first semester there, and we had these dorm complexes where several people were in the same dorm area, and I came into the door one night at curfew, and all the guys were standing in there. The, the dean of men was even in that complex. Something had happened in that pod of the dorm that was bad. And when I walked in the door, one of the guys blamed me for it. Will did it, he said. He's to blame. Now, let me tell you, I, growing up, I was not a perfect little angel. And when I was in college, I did my share of mischievous things. But I didn't do what they were saying I did. I didn't even know what was going on. Usually, I'm calm, cool, and collective. Usually, I'm very easy to get along with. I, I like people. I like to get along with people. I do not like confrontation. But let me tell you, when they blamed me for doing something I didn't do, the top of my head blew off. And I got into it with those guys. In fact, the guy that had blamed me, we went face to face, grill to grill, and the dean of men had to step in between us, Jason, because we were about to go fisticuff. And I was, man, I, I gave him a piece of my mind. It was not pretty at all. Well, you know what? Before we went to bed that night, the, the truth came out, and I was totally vindicated. But instead of feeling good about that, I could not go to sleep. And finally I said, Lord, why can't, why can't I sleep? And he says, because you're a big dummy, that's why. You lost control. You become angry. You said things that you should not have said, and you acted in ways that you should not have acted. I said, well, Lord, I'm sorry. He said, well, that's not good enough. You're going to have to go to every person in that room and apologize for the way you acted. Man, a fool gives full vent to his anger. Some of the other Proverbs say this on the subject. Chapter 14, verse 17, a quick-tempered man does foolish things. Come on, how about an Amen. 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension. Isn't that the truth? And you all know people like this. They, they, they just have a hot temper. They just, they do explode. They say things that they regret saying. Self-control and discipline closes your mouth and doesn't allow you to speak those things. How about Proverbs 21, verse 18? Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. I have no comment on that verse. I'm, I'm not even going to say anything about that one. Proverbs 29, 22. An angry man stirs up strife. 1911. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is his glory to overlook an offense. Here's one last verse on the subject, 1632. It is better to be patient than powerful. It is better to have self-control than to conquer a city. In his book, At Ease, Stories I Tell to Friends, President Dwight Eisenhower said that when he was eight years old, he became very angry. His older brothers were allowed to go trick-or-treating on Halloween night, but his parents told him he was too young and he couldn't go with them. And he threw a fit. He begged his dad to let him go, but his dad said, no, you're not going. And so little Dwight turned to an apple tree in their front yard and just started pounding that tree with his fist until his fist started bleeding. The elder Eisenhower wasn't pleased with his son's 
temper tantrum, and so he took a hickory stick off of the hickory, hickory tree and switched him all the way back to the house. Little Dwight went to his bedroom and lay in bed, sobbing in the pillow, feeling deeply hurt and abused and angry. And then all of a sudden the door opened and his mother came into the room. She sat in the rocking chair and for a long time she didn't say a single word. Then she began to talk about the subject of temper and the importance of controlling our temper. And she even quoted that verse, Proverbs 16, 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than the one who takes a city. She, she had no way of knowing, of course, that she was talking to a future military general and president of the United States of America. She just talked about that verse, and then she put some ointment on his little injured hands and bandaged the worst places. Eisenhower said in his book that he has always looked back on that conversation as one of the most valuable conversations and moments of his entire life. Folks, let me tell you, we need a little self-control and discipline when it comes to our emotions. It's also important to bring self-control to bear on our impulses. How often do we want to say an unwise word, make an unwise purchase, enjoy an unwise pleasure? Immaturity says, go ahead and do it. It's okay. Nobody's going to know. You deserve it. Go for it. But maturity says, not so fast. You need to think this thing through. You need to count the costs. You need to control your impulses. Proverbs 14, 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. 18, 13, he who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. 20, 25, it is a trap for a man to dedicate something rashly only later to consider his vows. Chapter 30, verse 20, this is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wickedness. She just operates on the basis of her impulses. And then listen to Proverbs 19, verse 2. It is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. Let me, let me just tell you what happens when we follow our impulses. In 1914, Archduke Franz Ferdinand, heir to the Hungarian throne, decided to visit Bosnia with his wife Sophie. The Archduke was a very impulsive man, and he ignored the warnings and insisted in riding through the city streets in a vehicle in spite of threats of being assassinated. And sure enough, somebody threw a bomb at his car. It hit the car and fell into the street. It exploded and injured one of his aides. He was indignant and still acting on impulse. Later, he insisted on visiting his wounded aide in the hospital. But en route to the hospital, the archbishop's driver became disoriented and acting on impulse suddenly took a turn down a street. It was the wrong turn. And someone in the party said, this is the wrong way. So the car stopped, but it stopped right in front of a young high school student, a teenager named Gabrielle Princip, who acted on impulse and reached inside of his jacket and pulled out a browning pistol. He fired, and within minutes, Archduke Ferdinand, his wife Sophia, and their unborn child were all dead. As a result, the entire world erupted in a war, World War I. It cost the lives of millions of people and ultimately opened the door for World War II in which 50 million people perished, partly all because of a group of people acting on impulse on June the 28th, 1914. The same sorts of things can happen in miniature form in our lives 
unless we learn to control our impulses. Another area of discipline and self-control involves maintaining our sobriety. I, I thought about leaving this one out, but you know what? There's, there's too many verses in Proverbs that tells us we need to have self-control and discipline. The writer of Proverbs anticipates something the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul said, never, ever, never, never get drunk. There is never a time, church, when it is appropriate to be drunk. There is never a time when that makes things better. There is never a time when any good whatsoever comes from the abuse of drugs and alcohol. We need to practice self-control. Again, tons of verses. One of them is Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker and strong drink a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. One more passage. I'm going to read this one out of the Good News Translation, chapter 23. Show me someone who drinks too much, and I will show you someone miserable and sorry for himself, always causing trouble and always complaining. His eyes are bloodshot and he has bruises that could have been avoided. Don't let wine tempt you. Even though it is rich red, though it sparkles in the cup and it goes down smoothly, the next morning you will feel as if you had been bitten by a poisonous snake. Weird sights will appear before your eyes and you will not be able to think or speak clearly. You will feel as if you were out on the ocean seasick, swinging high up in the rigging of a tossing ship. I must have been hit, you will say. I must have been beaten up, but I don't remember it. Why can't I wake up? I need another drink. No, you don't. You need self-control. Yesterday evening, I was waiting in line somewhere here in town, and there were a group of guys, I counted eight of them, all young men. They, they were talking about their plans for that evening and how they were going to go out and party and how they were going to get drunk, and one of them started listing all the drinks he was going to drink, and another one laughed and said a few cuss words and said, I'm going to beat you with that, and they, they all chimed in and talked about how drunk they were going to get and how much fun they were going to have. And they asked the other buddy who had kept his mouth shut this whole time, what, well, what about you? What are you going to drink? And he said, well, it sounds like there's going to be enough drinking going on. Somebody's going to have to stay sober to get the rest of you home. And they let him have it, made fun of him, called him names. And I said, thank God for the one who had a little bit of self-control. Because there's no telling what would have happened had they all done it. Now, guys, I could go on and on and on, but let me just tell you this. In all my years of life and ministry and dealing with people and their problems, not one single time have I seen anything good come out of people abusing drugs and alcohol. Amen. We need to learn self-control and self-discipline. You're saying, go on, preacher, hurry. Well, you don't, you don't want this last one either. The final area I'm going to mention has to do with restraining our appetites. And not just our appetites for food. It's really a matter of leisure and pleasure and indulgences of all kinds. The writer of Proverbs tells us that maturity in life is foregoing certain enjoyments and pleasures and delights because they're simply just not good for us. And you need to learn to say no to certain temptations. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 12. Wisdom will save you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Give me. God has blessed us 
with love in our family. God made it this way, a husband and a wife to enjoy life together and the pleasures that he gives within the confines of a marriage. There's absolutely nothing wrong with sex. God invented it, but he made it for one man, one woman for their life. And let me just tell you something. The devil uses tempters and temptresses to come to you and to tempt you. And you've got to have the ability to have self-control and discipline in saying no when you're approached with that. Under no circumstance is it right for you to defile your marriage, to hurt your spouse, and to destroy your marriage. You need self-control and discipline. Proverbs 23, 19 Listen, my son, and be wise, and keep your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. 21, 17, and 20. He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. You've got to control your impulses. I've got to read Proverbs 25, 16, and I'm doing it out of the message. When you're given a box of candy, like on Mother's Day, don't gulp it all down. Eat too much chocolate, and you're going to make yourself sick. you got to love the message, huh? Let me tell you, it is so important to master self-control, to discipline yourself. Over these areas that are listed in Proverbs, over our emotions, over our impulses, over our sobriety, and over our appetites. In order for us to be successful, you've got to understand two things, and I close with these two things. First of all, Discipline is something we just decide to do. Self-control is something you decide you're going to do, and then you do it. It isn't a matter of learning a dozen techniques or going to a dozen seminars to teach you how to be a disciplined person. It's largely just a matter of making up your mind and becoming disciplined in that area of your life. The book of Proverbs approaches this matter as a matter-in-fact way, and, and, and so does the Apostle Paul. Remember he told Titus, teach the young people and the older people to be self-controlled. You just be self-controlled. It's a decision we make. It's a commitment we make. We, we decide, you know what? I am going to show some discipline, some self-control. I am not going to eat those strawberry Pop-Tarts. You make up your mind and you do it. Number two, and more importantly, self-control and discipline are a spiritual commodity. If I want to be disciplined in the physical and emotional and financial segments of my life, I have to be disciplined in my spiritual habits. Because it's all bound up with spiritual maturity and my growth in Jesus Christ. And and when I get the foundation right, when I am reading my Bible every single day, when I am spending quality time in prayer with Jesus Christ, when I am involved in C groups and ministry and church, when I am led by the Spirit of God and every day I give God control over my mind, my mouth, my hands and my feet, When I give God everything and hold nothing back for myself, then let me tell you, it's a whole lot easier to be self-controlled and disciplined. Why? Because you have given the steering wheel of your life over to God. You're not driving your life anymore. He is. It's His Word that is in your heart. It is His Spirit that is guiding you daily. It's a spiritual commodity. Like all of the other traits that we've looked at in the book of Proverbs, it really is a matter of growing and trusting in Jesus Christ. 
For not one time in the Gospels do we ever see even a hint of Jesus Christ losing his self-control or his self-composure. And I really think the best verse in the entire Bible on this subject bears that out. It's my final verse I'm going to share with you. It's found in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, to all people. It teaches us to say what? No, to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is right. And all of that begins when we allow Jesus into our life. All of that begins when we say yes to God's plan of salvation. You might wonder, well, how, how, do, how do I do that? How do I accept this gift? How does Jesus take control of my life? We say here at Kavanaugh, it's as simple as ABC. A, admit you're a sinner. Can I let you in on this secret? You are. We all are. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. B, believe that Jesus is the only one who can save you from your sins, and he is. And then C, confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. For when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God hath raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And this transformation takes place. You become a brand new person in Jesus Christ. The Bible calls you a brand new creation. The old has passed away and behold, everything has become new. You're a new person in Jesus. You have a new way of thinking, a new way of talking, a new way of doing life. That's where it begins, when you say yes to Jesus. If you've never done that, I invite you to come this morning. We're going to have an altar of prayer, an invitation, and you can come and receive God's gift. Have that transformation. All things can become new for you. And if you are a Christian, why don't you gather up all of those things that you're struggling with right now? It may be your emotions. It may be your impulses. It, 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 it may be that crutch, that, that alcohol, the drugs, pornography, sex, whatever it is, whatever has a hold of your life, bring that to Jesus and lay it at his cross today. Ask him for victory and for self-control. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would do something it's just absolutely amazing in our lives in this room today. Lord, for those who need to come and receive the gift of salvation, I pray that they would do that this morning. For those of us struggling with, with choices in life and with our emotions and our impulses and our sobriety, I pray to God that, that we would come and lay that at the altar and claim victory in Jesus' name. I pray, dear Lord, that you would help us to come and intercede for those in our life and family that are struggling with an addiction. Bless us, dear Lord, we pray. Change lives and be glorified in this room. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Praise teams are going to sing. The altars are open. Please come. Let's pray together this morning. Whatever burden is on your heart, bring it to Jesus right now.
Heavenly Father, I love you and I thank you for that amazing grace that has slowed down into our lives and covering us today. Thank you for those who are praying, not only at the altar, but those in their chairs praying as well. Lord, I know that you're here today to meet needs, and I pray as we lay our lives before us, you would meet the needs and, and bring us victory in every area of our life. Help us to learn discipline and self-control. Help us to be shining lights in a dark, dark world. Ask your blessing on our church and church family, and I do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Amen. Thanks for being here today. Just a few announcements, but important things going on. When you walk out of the room today, make sure you drop your offering in one of those black boxes. We would appreciate it. Uh, this Wednesday night, we have a young man as guest speaker for the adults. His name is Luke Sherman. He's from Kansas, but he's going to Ardmore, Oklahoma for a church restart. Uh, Jason knows him, and uh, he's, a, he's a great, great young man. He's going to be our guest. He's going to sing for us and going to preach for us. We're just going to take up a love offering for Luke, so be here and be praying for him. Uh, Naomi's friends, y'all are going to meet tomorrow at 1 o'clock at Unisys for food and fellowship. Uh, the 24th is our Back to Church Bash. In your seat, you found one of these little invite cards. We have many more of these in the lobby area. We want you to take as many of them as you can, pass them out, invite people to come to church on the last Sunday of the month. It's our Back to Church Sunday, and that night from 5 to 7, we're going to have this uh, carnival, this Back to Church bash. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Your wildest imagination would not satisfy what's actually going to be happening that night. It's going to be a fantastic night, so invite your friends. We also have uh, uh, flyers out there that you can take and hang in your business windows and doors and give to other people as well. C groups are about to start up. I'm so excited about C groups. They will actually begin the first week of October. Got a little video I want you to watch and uh, then I'll end by saying one more thing about C groups. Amen. I'm excited about our C groups. Uh, we're going to have a C group fair the end of this month with all of our C groups listed. 
You can pick the one that is best for you at the, at the right time for you and your family. Uh, the theme of this year's C Groups is, is witnessing, soul winning. Uh, so many of us fail to be a soul winner because we think it's so complicated. Let me tell you, friend, it's easier than you think it is. And in a non-threatening atmosphere, we're going to talk about our witness for Jesus Christ, how we can win our friends and family members to Jesus and build the kingdom of God. So if you're interested, be praying about it. We'll sign up later on this month for new C groups. Our C group leaders, if you are a leader, we're going to have a meeting right after church on Wednesday night. If you think you might be interested in leading a small group in your home or in one of the rooms here at the church, talk to Brother Jason, show up at that meeting. It's, it's just going to be a fantastic time. One last thing, if you've tried to email us this past week, anybody here at the church or at the school, your email has not gone through. Uh, something is messed up on their end, and Brother Devin has been working desperately to get it fixed. It is still not resolved, so we've not been receiving emails since Wednesday. If you've tried to send us one or need to communicate, you need to call us or come by and talk to us until we get this problem fixed, all right? But it's going to be fixed, because Devin's going to fix it. Give Devin a big hand. It's not Devin's problem, but it is his problem now. So, hey, God bless you. I hope you have a great day. Be a witness for Jesus.